Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a worldwide community of people who are using the practices of mindfulness, compassion, forgiveness, and generosity to heal the pain and suffering that addiction has caused in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. This podcast is for all those interested in and all those already practicing refuge recovery to find freedom from addiction of all kinds. To support this podcast and your refuge recovery, please donate using the link in the show notes. So welcome everyone. Thanks for making the transition with us over here to Zoom where we can see each other. Um, I hope that this will be a better experience for you of getting some sense of Sangha, of being able to see the other people in the community. Tonight we are on the ninth chapter of the Refuge Recovery book, um, the fifth aspect of the Eightfold Path to Recovery, of Refuge Recovery. And we've spent the last couple of months going through the four truths of Refuge Recovery and how uh, how this path leads us to the healing that we're seeking, the recovery, the ability to establish and maintain abstinence, and the internal practice of developing wisdom and compassion and forgiveness. And these Buddhist teachings that are an intervention for addiction and the suffering that addiction creates in our lives. We're, last week we started this middle section of the Eightfold Path, or um, two weeks ago, where uh, what sometimes are talked about as ethics, the um, Buddhist practice of uh, wise communication and uh, participation in community, the uh, practice of, of wise actions, of developing uh, some renunciation um, in the, with the five precepts and um, practicing forgiveness and uh, generosity. And tonight it brings us to the um, sixth aspect or fifth aspect, fifth or sixth, six, seven, six, five. Number five, <laughs> um, that uh, is addresses the importance of how we earn money and uh, what we commit our life's energy to. The um, how we relate to money, how we earn money, how we spend our time uh, if we need money, and, and most of us do. Uh, it's what the Buddha referred to as livelihood. And um, so I'll jump into it. It starts on page 65, chapter 9, page 65 in the Refuge Recovery book. If anybody wants to read along, you're welcome to. And I'll read it and make some comments, and then we'll have some 
discussion, anybody who's interested in questioning, investigating, discussing this together. Livelihood service. We try to be of service to others whenever possible, using our time and energy and resources to help create positive change. We try to secure a source of income, livelihood, that causes no harm. As addicts, most of us have been selfish and self-centered. When we try to establish this new way of life, we have to go against our selfish tendencies and turn toward a life of compassion and service. Each new member in Refuge Recovery Group gives us plenty of opportunities to be of service. He or she will need the support of the community, offering our time and energy to help one another recover is one of the foundations of our program. Mentoring others through the four truths will give us the opportunity to be of service, which will help both the mentor and the mentee. Being a mentor helps us break away from our selfish and self-centered tendencies. As we set aside some of our time and energy to show others the path of recovery, we too benefit from that act of generosity. Being a mentor is a great responsibility. It means not only teaching, but also showing through our actions what it means to be in recovery. We mentor each other in the way we speak, the way we speak in the meetings, in the way we practice meditation on a regular basis, through talking with one another and establishing a community we see that every one of us is experiencing the same things. At heart, everyone has resistance to pain and attachment to pleasure. As we observed in the first truth, suffering is a universal facet of human existence. We all suffer, but suffering takes on a magnified, a magnified form in the addict. So the pain in life is a given that we have to deal with. But if we respond in a destructive way, as an addict does, we add extra suffering and dissatisfaction on top of that pain. As we recover, we begin to see that it is true for everyone, both addicts and non-addicts alike. Once we have acknowledged how much suffering we have experienced in our lives, and once we have clearly seen how much suffering there is in the world, the only rational response is an engaged compassion towards all forms of suffering. As recovering addicts, we must commit our life's energy to creating positive change. The compassionate response is both natural and cultivated. It is a natural outcome of our deliberate internal transformation an intentional choice to use our life's energy to free ourselves from confusion and help others get free from confusion as well. We need to learn to respond with friendliness and compassion, not only to our own pain, but also to that of the world. For us addicts, the necessity of transformation is too pressing to wait until genuine compassionate understanding develops. Perhaps we have already been reacting with anger in an attempt to change the world, 
Anger is a very understandable and natural reaction to pain. But anger, which is motivated by fear, is also a source of suffering. If we want to eradicate suffering, it makes sense to start with our own. But we don't have to wait until we are free from suffering to take positive action in the world. As our meditation practice develops and our perspective transforms, the anger becomes compassion. Outwardly, the difference may be minimal, but inwardly, the difference between acting out of anger and acting out of compassion is huge. Helping other recovering people in our community is wise and noble, but let's not stop there. We should also continue to try to be of service We should also, let's not, let's not stop there. We should also continue to try to be of service outside of our meetings, groups, and communities, getting involved in social, political, and environmental causes close to our hearts. As compassion grows in us, we will wanna be more and more engaged in helping to create a positive change in our communities and society and on the planet. The transformation from a selfish motivation, I need to do this for myself, to a more altruistic one, I dedicate my life's energy to the benefit of all beings, is a gradual one for most. It will come with time. It will come with time spent helping in the community, as well as through meditative experience. Knowing that we have the ability to help each other recover and alleviate suffering we need to bring that intention into the forefront of all our endeavors. This is done by fostering a sincere and altruistic motivation. To this end in recovery, we may begin saying something like, may my life's energy be of benefit to all beings. May I be of service to my recovery community. I commit my life's energy to wise and compassionate work. The Buddha talks about altruistic motivation as a prerequisite to enlightenment in the Eightfold Path when addressing our livelihood. Not only do we have to use our livelihood or life's energy in a way that is non-harming to be really free, to really be free, we also have to take it that extra step and do something positive. Helping one another along the way this does not mean that we have to stop our chosen career and become a social worker or dedicate ourselves to feeding the starving masses. Many of us, for many of us, that something extra may be just a shift in attitude and motivation. In whatever we are doing, what, wherever we are in our lives, a shift towards the intention of, the intention to respond to each person we meet with more caring, more kindness, and more understanding, a shift towards being more compassionate and wise with our life's energy. Although our motivation to help others may be sincere, it is important to acknowledge that it may not always be 100% altruistic. There is often a mixed motivation for serving. Sometimes it feels as if we have to serve 
in order to forgive ourselves for the harm we caused and the negativity we have created. Such a response could be motivated by guilt, but it could likewise come from a healthy sense of regret and a commitment to karmic purification. At other times, we may be motivated to serve out of a desire to look good, to appear altruistic, and therefore gain praise. <clears throat> if we feel a drive to use all our, life's all our life's energy to serve, it is essential that we be clear about our motivation even and especially when it is selfish. Serving feels good. We like the experience of getting out of our self-centered thoughts and feelings by focusing our attention on doing good for others. We gain love and respect from those we help, but we must constantly be reminded that as the Buddha has been rumored to have said, we could search the whole world and never find another being more worthy of our love than ourselves. In other words, the truest altruism is to include oneself at all times, making sure that our intention to serve all beings, not just others. Once we have found some level of ease and well-being in life due to our spiritual practice and recovery, we don't get to just relax and enjoy it. Knowing that the happiness and freedom we have found in life are very much a part of the fact that we have committed to serve all beings with our life's energy and not expend it in selfish pursuits. We continue on that path as a natural course of action, doing all we can to bring about positive change in this world. The path of recovery is a path of service. On this path, we have many tools, education, resources, protection from harm, and the ability to inspire meditative transformation. Our mindfulness meditation practice, our formal and informal training, develops insight into all of the ways that we create suffering. That wisdom is liberating, but it is only one wing of recovery. The other wing is compassion. For most, some level of wisdom must be developed before true compassion can be uncovered. Then our care, generosity, understanding, and skillful response to suffering are genuine. Without kindness and compassion, wisdom is lacking. It is imbalanced. It takes caring and understanding for a fully recovered heart to soar to freedom. For many, this will lead to wanting to find a profession that causes no harm, and if possible, one that is of service. Now that we are living with the knowledge of cause and effect, karma, we can't spend our time and energy in a job that causes harm to people, animals, or the planet. This would be counterproductive to our goal of recovery and awakening. For many, this will lead, oh. our livelihood also impacts karma. Since all intentional actions have reciprocal outcomes, 
the time we spend on the job is a major generator of karma. It doesn't work to practice spiritual principles at home while earning a living through something that creates harm in the world. By participating in a harm-causing career, we not only hurt other beings or our world, we create future harm for ourselves. Some of the traditional jobs to avoid are killing living beings, selling living beings, selling weapons, selling intoxicants, and making money in the sex industry. All these jobs create suffering and confusion on some level. So even if the easiest way we find to make money is through selling booze or drugs, we need to choose different work. If we profit from substances that cause confusion and suffering, we are actually committing an act of self-sabotage. It is our, if our job is, say, bartending, close attention to our intention may reveal that our work is motivated by greed. A bartender witnesses the suffering of alcoholism and the confusion of drunkenness, yet profits from that suffering. Because profiting from the suffering and confusion of others has a negative karmic consequence. Those who wish to be free from suffering should try to avoid all such jobs. In recovery, we must be committed to what is most beneficial, not what is easiest. Remember, we have set our intentions to go against the stream. It is not the easiest way to be sure, but it is perhaps the only way to achieve freedom and bring about positive change. For those who find themselves stuck, at least for the meantime in a job that is not in line with our non-harming intentions, it will not help to be judgmental, defensive, or despondent about the situation. Do your best to show up and be mindful of what you are doing. Be as kind as possible to yourself in the process. And when you can, try to find a means of livelihood that is more suitable to your recovery. Many of our members have had successful recoveries while still engaged in a less than optimal livelihood. As a group, we hold no judgment about what one does for a living. Our only agenda is recovery. We know from direct experience that being engaged in work that causes harm will often lead to relapse or, keeps one, or keep one's recovery stagnant. All our members who have eventually transitioned into more skillful professions have reported an increased level of happiness and, a, and greater feelings of contentment. This in turn leads to less craving for escape and therefore ensures one's recovery. Service and livelihood are our guiding principles and they are an integral part of our recovery path. Together, we will create a positive change in our lives and society and the world. So a couple of reflections um, and then open to 
some discussion with you. I mean, I just, it's, I feel like it's quite clear in the, in the book and in the reading um, that what we're trying to do is get free from the self-centered, self-created misery of the human condition and the addict being an extreme example of the human condition. And so generosity becomes service. Generosity uh, is so practical. It's, and, and, I, and I know it, I say it in the book and, and just to remind, like we can't wait. I certainly didn't wait until I was feeling generous to start being of service. I didn't wait until I was feeling kind to start being kind, feeling compassionate to start uh, trying to be compassionate. The, um, the fake it till you make it <laughs> uh, thing is really true that in some ways we are doing these practices counter to our instincts, counter to our tendencies, counter to our conditioning. Um, and mentoring each other. And, and I, 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 you know, I'm interested in your thoughts and I feel like there's some really important pieces in there around not pretending like we're 100% altruistic, acknowledging that we get something out of giving, that giving in some ways could be seen at times as a selfish act, that maybe you get more out of it than the recipient when you're mentoring someone, when you're being of service to someone. Um, but we don't want to pretend, you know, so we just want to be honest about that. And then also, uh, you know, where it alludes to how we can use service as avoidance. We can use generosity and always thinking about others uh, where we're not including ourselves and this, this teaching of all beings that nobody is more important or less important than oneself. And so that self-care, self-compassion, self-forgiveness, um, and I know that, uh, you know, we all have this human judging mind that manifests often for people as no matter how much we give and how much we do, there's this feeling of it's not enough. No matter how much positive uh, change we help create or engaged in, um, the amount of ignorance, the amount of suffering, the amount of addiction in this world is so... Uh, insurmountable, it can feel like I, I'm not doing enough, I need to do more. And that when we try to do too much, we burn out. People relapse from trying to do too much. So finding that balance of a commitment to service, um, a lot of people need to find their own uh, sort of bottom line behavior about how many people you mentor. Like when you start mentoring and then, you know, you see the people that are like, yeah, I've got 20, I'm mentoring 20 people. And it's like, how can you? How can you really serve 20 people? Um, and a lot of people say, you know, what I can really do is five people that are really engaged. Uh, and maybe some of you have a greater bandwidth and you can actually do 10. But um, it depends on how engaged in the process our uh, mentees are. But um, the importance of, of putting some total dedication to service and some uh, 
limitations, honoring our own limitations. And giving other people a chance to mentor. <laughs> you don't have to mentor everybody, you know, but it's so important to, to try uh, to help as many people as we can. And then with livelihood, uh, I know there's some strong statements here and uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but maybe refuge recovery is the only recovery program that takes a, a strong sort of stance on talking about what people do for a living. Um, I'm not aware of there being much conversation about that in 12-step recovery programs. It seems sort of like an outside issue not addressed. Uh, we couldn't help but address it here in refuge recovery because it's one of the core teachings from the Buddha. We're utilizing the Buddha's eightfold path and it's quite interesting that the Buddha, a renunciate, not employed, you know, uh, person said, hey, here's this path for you householders. If you want to live this thing, if you want to find freedom, if you want to wake up, how you speak, how you act, and what you do for work is going to be necessary part of your process of healing, of our process of recovery, of our uh, awakening process. And so, of course, we have to address it here in Refuge because the Buddha addressed it and we're walking uh, this path uh, that the Buddha laid out for us 2,600 years ago. Um, and, you know, two, two, two last things before I open up. And if you have a question, you can raise your hand and the, the little blue hand on the Zoom or you can put it in the chat. Um, I just want to one more time this, you know, where the chapter ends, I feel like is so important when we're talking about livelihood. Um, many of our members have had successful recoveries while still engaged in lost less than optimal livelihood. As a group, we hold no judgment about what, what one does for a living. Our only agenda is recovery. Because um, I know probably a lot of people are hearing this and then identifying their livelihood as being one of the less than optimal. Uh, there's that whole piece about the bartender or um, sex workers or, you know, um, killing animals or, you know, so, so people in refuge that are butchers or are bartenders or, you know, just know you're welcome here. It's your own recovery. It's your own process. You have to find your own way with this. Um, and here's my interpretation of what the Buddha taught and how we can use it in our recovery. So let's. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Refuge Recovery Podcast. To learn more about our program of recovery and to connect with others on the Refuge Recovery Path, visit our website, refugerecovery.org where you will find information, meditations, and links to both in-person and online refuge recovery meetings. This podcast is brought to you by Refuge Recovery World Services, a nonprofit created to support our network of refuge recovery groups around the world. Thank you for listening.